to the Section 5 Podcast. Welcome back to the Section 5 Podcast. It's me, G. We have the whole crew here tonight. I don't know who's had their core four more often than us or the Celtics, but, but we're all here. We're on the eve of the eve of the eve of the trade deadline. Uh, lots of rumors flying around the NBA. Lots of concern and, and panic in, in Celtics Nation right now. Lots of questions that need answering, and we're here to hopefully sort some of these things out and try to make sense of the season to this point, give some predictions heading into the trade deadline, and ultimately try to decide what direction the Celtics need to head in going forward. So like I said, we have Mark. Trey, Adam, what's up, fellas? How's everything going? It's good. Yeah, win some, lose some. Sounds familiar, right? <laughs> right. One, one step forward, two steps backwards. Um, so off the bat, guys, right now the Celtics are sitting in eighth place in the Eastern Conference. Don't have the exact record up in front of me, but I twenty one and twenty two. Twenty one and twenty two, one game below five hundred. Um, how many games back of the fourth seed? One game. Hawks are four game. Hawks are 22 and 21 at four seed. Okay. So Mark's Atlanta Hawks are in the fourth seed. One game separates all these teams that kind of jumbled up. Clearly there's a second tier behind the first, you know, the top three seeds in the East, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Brooklyn. Uh, but Mark, I start with you. Mm-hmm. I believe the Celtics started eight and three this season. It seemed like two years ago when Jason Tatum hit that bank shot to beat the Bucks. I think it might have been opening night. Yep. Um, but since then, they've been one of the f- five or six worst teams in the league record-wise. And the people, they want to know why. Why are the Celtics sitting in eighth place right now? What's the issue? What's the problem from your perspective? They're just not that good. It's that simple. They're not that good of a team. Their two stars are inconsistent. They're great when they're good. They're really bad when they're not good. And they have no depth. They're loaded with injuries. It's just not a very well-constructed roster right now. The free agent pickups haven't really worked. Teague, Thompson, we thought they were going to. I think we all like them pretty much across the board, and they just haven't worked. Teague was great last night. He's had a couple of other good games in there. The Indiana game a couple of weeks ago was a, was a good showing for him. But he's been bad more than he's been good. We haven't seen anything out of Neesmith, really. I think he's played well when he's played, but for some reason, Brad won't put him in the game. He's still mission, missing some rotations on D, but I think you got to get a look at that guy. Um, and then there's just so much other dead weight on that team. You know, I always just think of like Carson Edwards and Grant Williams, like those guys suck. Those guys can't play and we're stuck. I mean, Carson doesn't play that much, but he's taken a roster spot and uh, Grant Williams is in the game just way too much. He's a six five power forward. Like that guy is not an NBA rotation player right now. And he I don't think he ever will be. And they're just they're using him a ton. And it just speaks to the construction of this roster. Um, I don't think the drafting is an issue. It's just really the law of averages playing out, right? They've had some that have hit, they've had some that haven't. 
it's pretty much the way that it goes across the league. Some of these guys are good and some of them aren't. It's just their team is so constructed with these draft picks because they had a ton of them over the, the last couple of years. And they just haven't had room to have other types of players, whether it's a journeyman or a solid vatter, um, you know, someone who's ring chasing, which if you're ring chasing, you're probably not coming here because they're not quite there yet. But um, usually there's a mix of different types of guys there. And they're just loaded with these young guys because they put a lot of resources and assets into them. And we're waiting to see if they'll pan out. And there's just too many of those dudes at the middle to bottom of the roster. And it really leaves them in a tough spot to where they have to rely on their top guys and they have to stay healthy. And so far, neither of those have happened. Yeah. Roster construction is clearly an issue for the team this year. And I think, you know, going into the last few drafts, or at least, you know, going into the last few seasons, there seemed to have been this sort of cycle where, okay, the best time to make a move, you know, we need to do something at the trade deadline. Then once the trade deadline approaches, it says, oh, no, maybe it's better to do something during the summer. And then when the summer approaches, nothing happens. And I think we've all hoped for the last few uh, draft days um, that the team consolidated those picks, whether it was moving up in the draft or moving out for a veteran. The constant theme was there's no way they're going to use all those picks. And they did. And they did. Aside from, I think, you know, I think they traded out a pick to 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 move Aaron Baines and create the yeah. space for Timber Walker. Like there's yep. been some really minor moves, but we've never been able to consolidate those picks and move up in the draft. And then not only were we able, weren't able to move up, we weren't able to move out and trade them for future picks anymore. So what happened is we used all the picks and those guys are making up that bottom two thirds of your roster is filled with Danny's guys handpicked Danny Ainge selections that, like you said, I mean, the law of averages kind of played out, but when you have eight of those guys, four of them are, with, four of them are taking up roster spots who, who may not be deserving of a spot in the rotation. Um, so I think definitely roster construction is an issue. I also think that the East has just gotten a little bit better. The, the league as a whole has sort of caught up to the Celtics. We caught, we sort of caught lightning in the bottle that year when we saw, when we, Drafted Jay, Jason Tatum, signed Kyrie, signed, I'm sorry, traded for Kyrie, signed Gordon Hayward, traded for Mook Morris, signed Aaron Baines. Like we had, you know, we were stacked and, you know, we were, we were kind of the gap between us and a lot of the other teams in the East was much more, you know, wider than it is now. The Hawks have gotten better. Brooklyn is respectable. They're the best team in the East right now. Um, Milwaukee's still Milwaukee. They've sort of been, you know, running in place, but Milwaukee's still a good team. Atlanta stepped up. Charlotte's a good team now. Lo and behold, because they have two of our old players, Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward. Um, Indiana's taken a bit of a step back. Miami's gotten better, obviously, since they've gotten Jimmy Butler and the development of Bam Adebayo. So it's just been a combination. The Knicks exist. The Knicks are like actually playing basketball. I mean, yeah, yeah. So it's been a combination of, of us sort of, the C's kind of losing their way you know, losing players for nothing, you know, in three consecutive seasons. Um, And also with the East getting a little bit better. Um, And so, so, but all that being said, you can look at it either as, Hey, they're only one game out of the fourth seed or Hey, they're one game under 500 and either way it goes, it's not what we expected them to be at this point in time. Um, Adam, do you have any thoughts or, or maybe a different perspective on why the C's are sitting here, you know, three, three quarters through the season sitting in eighth place in the Eastern conference. I mean, I think a big reason of that is just 
you know, we haven't had our, our, our core not being available for the majority of the season so far is, is big in this. I mean, you don't really know what you need until you see what you have. And we haven't really, what do we have, like five or six games with our, with our top, you know, core available. And, you know, I definitely agree with Mark on the roster construction. The bottom half of the roster is, is not who you want out there. Like, we definitely need players to improve on what Grant Williams, Semi Ojale, um, Jeff T bring. Like we can't we we can't rely on these dudes in May and June. Like we need someone else there. And a fifteen year a fifteen year vet, fifteen year NBA veteran. Mm-hmm. Yes, we need we need just. I mean, we were hope we were thinking that Tristan Thompson was going to be that guy. Obviously, he's been as inconsistent as everybody else on this team, so you can't really count count on him either. So it's just, you know, I want to see, and I'm, I'm really tired of Kemba taking, like, every other day off. I want to see them get more consistency playing together because, you know, you want to have that established going into the playoffs. You don't want to be still building that into, like, the first round. So, I mean, if his, if his knee isn't there, then – it's not there, so let's let's stop babying it because come the playoffs, we're gonna need Kemba out there 32, 36 minutes a night. And yeah, and speak speaking of Tristan Thompson, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I was surprised by that signing. Um mostly because he was a Rich Paul client, and it seems to, you know, maybe there was some history between the Celtics and, and Rich Paul when when the Anthony Davis thing sort of went left. Um, but I don't know if I was expecting him to come in here and be a leader for the team. Um, I thought he could add something on the defensive end, add something, getting those offensive rebounds, basically all the shit that he used to do against us. They used to piss us off, you know, just make timely plays. And, and he hasn't been there. And then mysteriously for the last week or so, he's just been out due to COVID, uh, COVID protocols. And they haven't, the team hasn't revealed a lot about that since he's, since he went on the report. I think a lot of us chalked it up to him maybe being on the trade block and just the, the team just wanting to keep him healthy and keep him in bubble wrap to maintain his trade value. But some interesting news started coming out today of which, you know, Jalen Brown didn't agree with, but that Tristan Thompson has essentially been purposefully breaking COVID protocol, basically going out and living his life and doing what he wants, despite protocols by the NBA that don't allow that. Um, the second piece that sort of came out of that, and this was Kevin O'Connor um, was on a podcast sort of speaking to some of this. The second piece is that NBA locker rooms need to maintain six feet of social distancing before games. And if the locker room is not big enough to accommodate that, then you have to split the team into a few different rooms. And literally the Celtics have the Celtics locker room has been split between the vets and the young guys. And I don't, I I think Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown uh, constitute the vets. Now they're not the young guys anymore, but there's literally been like a physical divide between the team and the locker room before games. Now I don't, I'm not saying that's the case at practice. I'm not saying that's the case on the team playing, but some of that may have factored into all these chemistry issues that have only exacerbated the problems that Mark and Adam just spoke of. So Trey, I don't know if you want to pile it on a little bit more and sort of give further reasoning why the C's sit where they are, or do you maybe want to get this perspective that 
is there any way they you think that they can save their season this, this year and dig their dig themselves out of it? So yeah, I just I kind of want to pile on just a little bit more about the roster construction. Let's do it. Look at it. It's a 17 man roster. Uh coming into the season. If, you know, high, hindsight is 2020. If you take a look, we got Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Daniel Tice, Tristan Thompson, Marcus Smart, uh, Jeff Teague, which a lot of people question coming into the season, how much he would uh, have to offer the Celtics, and Robert Williams. Uh, that's your core of eight players. Outside of that, uh, you couldn't come into the season and say you were going to trust anyone else on the Celtics roster to be a contributor. Um, so you got rookies, Aaron Neesmith. You got Romeo Langford coming off injury. You've got Peyton Pritchard, another rookie. You've got Grant Williams, who, you know, you know you're expecting some improvement from. Uh, you got Shemi, who's been, you know, the best that he's ever been for us. He's hitting, hitting shots. He's asked to take a lot more shots, so he's hitting them a little bit more. Uh, but can't say I expected that from Shemi. You've got Carson Edwards, you've got Javante Green, Tremont Waters, and Taco Fall. So I can't say I'm surprised uh, when, when looking at it in hindsight. Uh, it just does not look like a good enough roster. So going forward, um, the hope is that we can add a few pieces, um, you know, a piece that can come off the bench and help keep us steady like Gordon Hayward did, essentially. Um, uh, someone who gives us less of a reason to rely on Marcus Smart to take, you know, different shots throughout the, the game. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's a huge, should be a huge emphasis on roster construction. Marcus is going to, you know, do what he's allowed to do. And he's allowed to do uh, what he's allowed to do based on how the roster is constructed. You know, if it's, if it's lacking, he's going to try to pick up for that. Um, so I would say that some moves definitely need to be made. Um, you don't want to make, you know, any bad deals. I don't expect Danny to make any bad deals, but anything that makes sense to improve this roster, he's got to look to do. Hmm. A little bit of foreshadowing here, but nobody mentioned the coach um, in terms of, of their struggles. And I'm sure we'll leave plenty of time for criticism um, for him. But, but the interesting thing, I think, and when you, when you ran off those names at the bottom of the roster and, and Mark, you ran off some of them too. We're looking at Taco Fall, Javante Green, um, Carson Edwards, Tremont Waters. Um, and there's something that's been missing this season that the Celtics have had the luxury of in the past. And that's the red claws in Maine. Right. We don't have a G league team this year. Um, and I had Clevis Murray on the podcast before, and he kind of opened my eyes to this too, is that basically the Celtics didn't, didn't want to pay to have a team in the bubble this year. So basically we have no G League. There's no place for us to send these guys and sort of get some reps, or I don't know how the whole two-way contract thing works. I don't know if we could send guys to Maine and have open roster spots, but, but that's sort of been um, a component that's been missing that may have been good for a guy like Aaron Neesmith even though none of us thought he'd be going to Maine when he got drafted. You know, I thought he may start, <laughs> be a starter when the season. When, not know, only that, that teams aren't allowed to practice either. So they even. they Not they, allowed they, to practice? You can't, yeah, you can't have practices this year. It's a shoot around. I, I thought they can practice. They just have to mm, be masked. I've heard they, they can't. It's more I may, limited. I, 
it's limited. Like, I'm sure, like, they've been using the facilities. I know they've been. Yeah, like, they've been using the facilities, but I've heard, like, they can't have, like, full practices. Like, full scrimmages. And, yeah. 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 Well, hmm, that's that's another thing, then. That's, you know. But but if everyone, but if every team is facing that type of situation, then, you know. Right. It's, but it's, it, hard, it's hard to point to that. It hurts right. the Celtics, I think, more than a lot of those other teams because you kind of alluded to it. They have so many of these guys who are young or who are inexperienced. Like, Javante Green's not necessarily young, but he doesn't have much NBA experience. These guys need to play to get better. And right now, they can't play. Um, you can't, Taco Fall has to play. Tremont Waters has to play. And they can't play in Boston because they're not good enough to play in Boston. So they re- really need somewhere for these guys to play whether it's at the facility or whether it's with the red claws and they're just not getting the the game action that they need to improve you know carson edwards is one of those guys uh, romeo's going to need that time when he's able to play if he's ever able to play who knows what's going on with him but um when you say each of these names individually i, I just wanted to touch on this real quick as uh, i mentioned it when i was uh, I guess on the uh, the off the rails pod is each of these guys at the bottom of the roster. When you look at them individually, it's okay to have that guy on your team. They all have a certain amount of potential. Like if Taco pans out, you got something no one else has. Trey Waters is a really good passer. He's really good with the ball, but he's got his issues. Carson Edwards has been a uh, a knockdown shooter at times in his career. Not really as much as in the NBA, but has had those flashes in college. Javante Green is an athletic freak. To have one of those guys on your roster at the bottom buried and hope he turns into something is a good thing. But they have a roster full of these guys, and it's all kind of – they have basically a pocket full of lottery tickets. Hmm. Well, given that we're all saying the roster is the issue here, at least the main issue, um, fortunately for all of us, there's an opportunity for there to be a shakeup with the roster. And I think, you know, Danny has stood pat the past few trade deadlines of which I think we, we kind of all agree that that may have been the best approach because, you know, the teams we had, we had continuity and, you know, the teams were playing well. Um, I don't know what deals were out there for the Celtics to make that they didn't, but this year feels a little different in terms of, you know, something needs to change. Um, something needs to change, something needs to be shaken up. And luckily for us here in Boston, uh, the Celtics are always in the center of trade rumors. So Trey, I know you have sort of the latest Intel of all the rumors that have been going on out there and what sort of out there on Twitter and, and numerous, numerous various reports. So let's sort of go over some of these rumored deals that have involved the Celtics and we can play a little bit of deal or no deal and decide if, you know, if it's something that we think the team should do. Any, okay, any place so, you want to start? So we'll start off with one of the most mentioned guys in Harrison Barnes. Um, so Harrison Barnes, the reported package that Sacramento is looking for is a combination of young players and picks. Um, I've heard uh, at least two first-round picks reported, um, but that's really all not much on specifics, but at least they're looking for a combination of young players and at least two first round picks. Is it safe to say the majority of the deals that have been flowing out, floating out there have, you know, the team, the, the seller is requesting a combination of young players and picks in return. Yep. That, that is exactly it. So, so between, you know, Harrison Barnes uh, is the first name on the list. So 
and then you've got John Collins and you've got Aaron Gordon as well. And all three names um, have been reported that those teams are seeking combination of picks and young players. And the specifics that I've heard are two firsts involved with each one. Adam, you, you trade in a combination of first round picks and young players for Harrison Barnes? No, I mean, to me, Harrison Barnes is he—he he is definitely an upgrade over having Semi and those other guys that are on the bottom of our roster, um, you know, playing in the game. But I don't know. I'm not a big Harrison Barnes fan. He reminds me of Jeff Green, um, and he's—I think I've had a pod here before where I where stated Harrison Barnes in his last four playoff games and they were they were pretty atrocious shooting levels in those games. So um I I would not I would not give up multiple firsts and young players for, for Harrison Barnes. Trey, is it safe to say that there'd be some protections on these picks? Yeah, I think that they would be you know, at least lottery protected or or top 20 protected protections of some sort on the picks. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, if we're not trading anyway, anyone from our core that we, we want on the floor in, you know, May, June, then I'll probably be, I'll probably be all for it. I mean, I'm not paying these guys. So just trying to make the team better. Um, and, I, and I think, Mark, I know you'll agree with this, but I don't think that there's a scenario where we're able to get any player of significance by giving them, any of those guys that we just named, even if you're throwing in picks, um, because another team could very easily beat that deal. If you're not including, uh, you, you know, let's do Mark first speak on Harrison Barnes, and then we can do a quick exercise about, about the team roster. Sure. Um, I like Harrison Barnes. I think he makes the team a lot better. Um, he has two more years on his contract after this. So that's, if you trade for him, you're getting him presumably for a long time, or you can flip him maybe in the off season if it doesn't work, or if you have a better path to making a, uh, more improvements, but Harrison Barnes is not going to move the needle for this team. They're not Harrison Barnes away from competing with Brooklyn, Philly, or Milwaukee. They're a lot further than that. So the young players on the roster, aside from Neesmith, who I like, and I want to see his potential and see if that pans out anyone else on the roster like if that gets us barnes like they can have them that's perfectly fine the first round picks early in the season i was thinking yeah give up those first round picks because if you're trading like pick 25 like i don't care about pick 25 that's a crapshoot you're basically picking out of a hat at that point but this team right now isn't good enough to get pick 25 they might be in the lotto this year so i don't want to trade a pick that you know, with the luck of the Celtics the last 30 years would probably come up to be number one if they don't throw projections on it to get Harrison Barnes. So if you could reasonably say if they get him, they can win a title, then you take the, the risk and you make the trade. But that's not going to be the difference maker. So I would keep the pick that right now, their 2021 pick is is a lot more valuable than we thought it was like two months ago. Yeah, it's hard to say, hey, this team absolutely sucks. And yeah, trade the future picks because right. if the team sucks and the picks are going to be good. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> but the exercise I wanted to do, and I've been on the record numerous times saying this, but we essentially need 
three of any combination of those guys outside of the core four to be starter on any team level in order to be back in business on the trade market. That's essentially how how Houston, uh, the Nets were able to get James Harden. They were able to develop Karis LeVert, Jarrett Allen, um, Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris. They were able to develop those guys into the starter on any team level players, which allowed them to only have to trade two of them with a, with those picks to be, able to, to be able to get a guy like James Harden. So who, who, who are the most desirable players? You know, I'm going to, I'm going to take Marcus Smart out of this equation for now and, l- and lump him in with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker, but yeah, he's have, an established vet. You know, people want him if he's available. Right. We have Robert Williams, Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Neesmith, Romeo Langford, Grant Williams. Like those essentially are the first round picks that Danny has made that are still on the team. And of those guys, how would you rank their value to other teams across the league? Got to be Rob Williams number one. Rob, I think I we'd all say Rob Williams is probably number one at this point. Williams one, unless a team loves Neesmith. I can see a team a team potentially loving Neesmith if they're already sat at Williams's position. I think Pritchard should be second on that list. Arguably a one B. I what? Yeah, I'd say I'd say maybe Neesmith may have some long longer term value if you're looking at what the player's potential is. Right. But right now it's probably Pritchard. Um, but if you're looking at just right now, you're probably not trading for either of those guys. And then what, where do we go third? Nee Smith or Langford? And I'd put Nee Smith over Langford just because yep. we haven't seen Langford. I'm going. And then we haven't really seen Nee Smith either, but I, Nee Smith yeah. has uh, better offensive skills, we think. So I think that's more desirable yeah. than the defense that, uh, that Langford brings. Um, because he hasn't shown much on the offensive end, but Neesmith hasn't shown a ton on the defensive end. So, um, but Neesmith has the ability to be that knockdown shooter. So I think, you know, there, if you put feelers out there for Neesmith, I think you'd get someone to buy on that uh, mm-hmm. and maybe consider him as a part of one of these deals. So I, I would say Neesmith over Langford by a lot. Neesmith over Langford by a lot. So that's, that kind of sucks. The way they, were, they were both 14th. Basically, lotto picks, right? A year left on. And then Grant Williams is is clearly last. Um, that's yeah, yeah. That's so. I mean, for the Celtics to move to go anywhere, whether it's acquire impact player via trade to develop in in house and keep keep the team the same internally and become you know become a championship contender, you need three of those guys, three of those five guys to develop to start on any team level and i think robert williams is there at if least not, in this small close. Se- if not he's close he's close yeah. he'd have to finish the season off the way he's playing now but he's close he's the best we got yeah <laughs> he's he, he's he's the best we have right now uh but yeah. like i said like i could see a team being excited about the potential of neesmith and maybe if they already have a couple of big guys who's specifically one who plays the same style as, as Williams, then uh, I think Neesmith might be more desirable, but for the most part, I'd say, you know, probably, you know, 20 to 25 out of 30 teams are going to be more on, on the Rob Williams train. All right. Um, Trey, what's the next one that you have? Okay. So we talked Harrison Barnes. 
Uh, we briefly mentioned two other names, so we're going to go with one of the other two, Aaron Gordon. Hmm. So, reported deal that's being talked about right now is hmm. uh, heard. Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier hmm. for two firsts, uh, like a young player, and most likely the Celtics will be using part of the trade player exception that they received from Gordon Hayward. Hmm. Um, there's been a lot of talk of Marcus Smart being, being involved in that trade as well. Um, I think I think we'd all agree that we would trade some protected first, like two, you know, one heavily protected first round pick and one lightly protected first round pick in order to absorb Aaron Gordon into the traded player exception. Would you guys all be agreeable to that type of deal? Yes. In a vacuum, yes. Um, I'd rather Barnes over Gordon if the price is similar. Mm. I just think Barnes is a better player, but you know, Gordon's mm. Gordon's more exciting. He's younger, but I just don't see him being a difference maker. Um, mm. He's he helps them, he improves them much in the same way that Harrison Barnes would. But but yeah, I, I'd take that if. Um, mm. If it costs you, you know, an unprotected pick for Barnes, but two protected for uh, for Gordon, then bring on Gordon. But he's another guy who's not going to move the needle. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, if if those if Gordon and Barnes are our two options, I'd rather wait till the summer to use the exception because that's I don't know. Aaron Gordon, I think I'm with you. On that one. Aaron Gordon just doesn't excite me. Um, he's you know, he's he hasn't shown that he's a consistent high effort player for his whole career. And that's what that's the kind of player we need that for the role that we're going to hope Aaron Gordon brings for us. It's just a high effort on both ends of the court. And you just you know, you just haven't seen that with him there. You just seen, you know, kind of volume shooting whenever he has a chance when Vucevic is not there or, you know, him just being more of a. Like, I, I don't know. We need a more, we need better than that. Are, are, are you talking about getting a player better than that without trading Jalen, Jason? Right. So yeah. I, I don't, I don't know how that happens in the summertime either. Yeah. I don't, I just don't, I just don't see a scenario based on the, the roster that we just spoke of that we're going to get a player Better, you know, a better than that caliber of Aaron Gordon or or Harrison Barnes. I just don't see a situation where we're going to get a player better than that without giving up one of those other guys of value that we have in return, even if it's to fit them in the traded player exception. Right, and the other thing about it is we're replacing that TPE with, you know, we replace Gordon Hayward with the TPE. So I mean, if you keep Gordon Hayward, that's another piece that you're not moving. So once again, you're stuck with the same pieces that we just named. You know? Like even like we pa- we passed on Sadiq Bay for and, and grabbed Aaron Neesmith. Um, and I was excited about that move at the time. But even a guy like Sadiq Bay, you know, they declined getting Marvin Bagley. You know, I think Sacramento reached out Marvin Bagley for Sadiq Bay straight up. Um, you know, which was declined. Um, and I don't think any of our guys, aside from Robert Williams would be in higher demand than a guy like Sadiq Bey. Um, so it's just going to be difficult. I think the question comes down to, are you guys ready and willing to trade Marcus Smart? 
because he's the most valuable piece that we can add on to a young player and or a few protected draft picks that may, you know, that may increase the level of player impact player that we're able to get. And are you guys there yet? Are you are you are you willing to to move Marcus Smart? And you got to obviously you got to factor in his production. You got to factor in his contract. You got to factor in the the Kendrick Perkins effect. You know the heart and soul intangibles. Um, what because because that seems to be the the inflection point between the Celtics and these other teams that are doing the negotiating is are the Celtics willing to include Marcus Smart in a deal? I'm willing to to consider trading Smart. It would have to be the right deal. I would not put him in a deal for the package that you mentioned, Trey, in, uh, in Orlando, uh, which is a year of Fournier and um, you know two years of Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that might actually make you worse if you're losing smart there. Um, but I'm not as worried about the heart and soul piece because I think one of the biggest problems with this team is they have no goddamn heart. So whatever, cut the heart out of, the, out of their chest. It's not going to, it's not going to hurt them. Um, hmm. You know, th- I would ideally like them to keep smart, but if there's a big name player and smarts, the piece that gets it done uh, along with, you know, picks and maybe they like one of those younger guys we just talked about, uh, then I'm not going to let that hold it up because this team needs a, a third star. It's, it's the way the league has been for all of our lifetimes. For the most part, you, you need those three guys. And right now they don't have it. And I don't see a way for them to get it. Um, you know, realistically without making a, a big move. I, I just don't see a scenario where you're able to obtain a third star player. And I don't either. A player that, you know, we're talking about a star player when you are top 15 ish player. Right. Hmm. Uh, I just don't see a scenario where you're able to get that guy unless you're trading Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum and you're kind of just. And you're treading water. Right. Right. Um, um, but, you know, if it wasn't, if the Hawks weren't smart enough to fire Lloyd, Lloyd Pierce and were sort of still free falling, there seems to be in the latest reports that there was some traction tray for Bogdanovich and John Collins in a deal, in a Marcus Smart centered deal. The salaries, I believe, match up because John Collins is only making four million or so four like that. So, yeah. Why? Why on earth would? Would Atlanta do that? Well, because John Collins is scheduled to hit free agency and they may not think they can retain him. They have some other guys that can fill that position. They may want a guy like Marcus Smart who, hey, maybe he's not. Maybe his voice has gotten drowned out a little bit here like Brad Stevens. But, you know, that type of infusion to another team that's young trying to get to the playoffs, that could have did wonders. And I think, Trey, the John Collins Bogdanovich situation is still fluid. It's still on the table. It's still being reported as you know, guys who could potentially be on the move, right? Collins and Bogdanovich. So from what I've heard reported, you know, earlier today is that talks have slowed down on that front. I'm sure that's something to do with leverage. Um, But I'm sure they're still listening to offers. But from what was reported, the Hawks, um, the Hawks aren't, thinking about it at the moment about moving Collins. Hmm. Collins said, I think it might've been today and who knows, maybe he's just, you know, playing the game, but uh, he had said he wants to be a Hawk for life, which nobody wants to be a Hawk for life. Let's be real here. But I mean, that's, that's something that he wouldn't have said a month ago. Like he was out the door a month ago 
And now he's saying he wants to stay there. So uh, it looked like there were maybe some hard feelings over him not getting an extension like Jalen and Tatum did in the offseason. And that's what really started the the rumors of them potentially trading him. So that might give the Hawks hope that they they can keep him. And since they fired Lloyd Pierce, who, man, has got to be the most enough person in the NBA after seeing them rattle off eight straight immediately after firing him. um, That's that could give the Hawks hopes of uh, just staying in the course and keeping this guy pairing him with Trey long-term. So he yeah. may, he may stay there. Adam, how many guys have we heard say they want to retire or, or wear that Jersey for life only to then request a trade? I'd the- wear their last Jersey for life. Those are fantastic. Their new ones suck. Hmm. So I told you guys I had an epiphany about one guy that I thought was going to be on the Celtics. I don't know if you remember who I mentioned in the group text, but I said uh, Victor Oladipo, and he may be the one guy that has high upside that we could get on the super cheap, like one heavily protected first and some seconds. That seems to be the asking price for Victor Oladipo right now because he's absolutely not resigning in Houston. Um, and they already got sort of the draft picks that they wanted out of the, the James Harden deal. Um, but you only get one crack at the traded player exception for the most part. I know there's some cap stuff that I don't want to get into, but you essentially get one shot at this thing. And I don't know if you guys would be willing to take a flyer on Victor Oladipo sliding into that traded player exception. And hopefully he can sort of refine his footing and re, you know, rebuild his career here in Boston. He's a free agent after this year. It's a big, big risk. And he's, it's not like when, uh, if they were to get John Collins, who's a restricted free agent, so you can re-sign him. You can match any offer. Oladipo's, if he doesn't want to be here, he's gone. And you just gave away all of that stuff, which is not going to be as high a price as Collins or even Barnes or, or Gordon, most likely because of that ability for him to walk. But that's a it's big a, risk. So for the, room, the rumored asking price is a heavily protected first round pick. Yeah. So like that's, that's okay. I'm okay with that. The, the trade exception piece where we've been talking about it all show, they don't have many desirable parts that they can use to match salary aside from stuff that they probably don't want to move. Marcus Smart might be kind of borderline, don't, don't, uh, don't want to move. So if they go for Oladipo and then he doesn't want to stay here, they are they find themselves in a tougher spot than they're in right now. So I'm kind of iffy on that. I'm not totally close to it, but it's it's scarier than even taking a shot on like Collins, who's restricted. Uh, that definitely that definitely has its risk, but I don't know. I'm I'm getting cold feet on on Oladipo just because he could be gone in a couple of months, and it would be all spent on a team that I think even if you had Oladipo on this team, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, I definitely don't like the flight risk of the situation. Um, him being able to leave in free agency. Uh, we've dealt with that when it comes to Horford and uh, Gordon Hayward. They both had player options. Oladipo doesn't have a player option. He's just uh, going to be an unrestricted free agent. That's not something that I really want to deal with. But for me, it'd be more, uh, it'd have more to do with what else do we get um, at the deadline? You know, do we, and the same time as getting Oladipo, do we get a restricted free agent like a John Collins who we can pay, you know, to to keep around? 
uh, because that would be just as important. Do we get another piece along with Oladipo or are we just getting Oladipo? Because that makes all the difference for me. If you can get Collins and you can get Oladipo on this team, like we might be in business for this year. Hmm. So, From what I've been reading a lot is that the Celtics have a reputation of offering up other teams players that they think they can also acquire um, to sort of try to bridge that gap between the guys that we have with that, you know, one team may not really want, but Miles Turner, (laughs) you know, whatever. So, so um, that's probably why also you're hearing like multiple guys and multiple deals. You hear Evan Fournier thrown in with Gordon or Bogdanovich and Collins. And, you know, I don't know. Are you guys willing to give John, you know, say John Collins was going to come here. Are you guys willing to match any offer that's going to come his way, you know, for 400 or something like that? I've heard that four for a hundred is what he's targeting. Absolutely. He's worth 25. I mean, Aaron Gordon's at 19 or or 18. Like he's, he's seven mil better than that guy for sure. And, and Collins is 23. So he's presumably going to get. So let's, 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 so let's say we added John Collins. We don't even need to use the the traded player exception to get him for a million. Do you think he moves the needle this season? I don't think he makes them better, better than the top three teams. Those top three teams are really good. Uh, I think he would make them clearly four and uh, gives you a shot for maybe another upset to happen. And maybe you can sneak your way into the conference finals and hope someone rolls an ankle, which is like, you know, the best you can hope for with, uh, with this team. Um, if I'm trading for Collins, it's for the long term. You have to want him long term and go into the uh, offseason with the expectation that you're going to sign him or, ma- or match whatever comes over for him. So if you're looking at Collins as a rental, then it's it's not worth it because there's a pretty high price tag on that. Minnesota hmm. reportedly offered a first and Malik Beasley. And hmm. that was turned. I forget who turned it down. The trade, the trade was rejected anyway. I can't remember who offered why. I think the Hawks actually might have asked for that. Minnesota said no. Uh, but the Celtics can't match that because that first round pick is probably a top five pick. Minnesota's terrible. But the only thing we don't know is the protections, if any. Right. When we hear these picks getting thrown around, you always got, you know, there's, there's been protections on all these picks that, like, un, unprotected first round picks just, don't happen very often unless it's right. like Anthony Davis or something like yeah. that. Right. Yeah. Um, right. And we already know that they owe their pick to the Warriors if it's not top three protected. So it's likely was offered as reverse protections this year. Mm-hmm. Some protections on the following year. So we have ownership coach and front office pretty much in lockstep right now. Right. And generally, that's like a recipe for success for your franchise. And it has been for the Celtics. As much as we've been criticizing and, and you know, really want more out of this team, they have had sustained success. Moderate success. I mean, the only thing they – the only, only level higher than that is getting to the finals and winning it. So I don't know if you think this Heat have had more success than the Celtics because they actually made it to the finals last year or have the Celtics had more success because they've consistently been in the Eastern Conference Finals. But at the end of the day, I don't think the coach or the GM is necessarily on the hot seat. But there is pressure. And wondering from you guys, who has more pressure on them? I guess you can throw a wick into this too. But 
Is it Danny or Brad that has the most pressure on them going into the deadline, going into the offseason? What do you think, Trey? So I think without a doubt, it's it's definitely Danny Ainge who has the most pressure on him. Um, just to kind of go over the timeline, you know, in 2016, you know, we added Al Horford via free agency. We drafted Jalen Brown. So, you know, that's two big moves that offseason. Um, Katie chose Golden State over Boston that offseason on to 2017, where we added another free agent. Um, in lieu of Kevin Durant, we ended up getting Gordon Hayward the following offseason, 2017. Uh, we also drafted Jason Tatum. We made a Avery Bradley for Marcus Morris trade. We made a Kyrie Irving trade. Um, fast forward to 2018. Um, well, missing part of 2017 is that Gordon Hayward gets injured the first game of the season. So he's yeah. out. He's out the entire season. Can't forget that. Can't forget um, that. So on to 2018, um, we gave Marcus Smart his 52 M's. He made a song about it. Mm -hmm. Drafted Robert Williams. And then we ran it back with the stacked team. Um, things fell apart. Didn't look too good. So we are on to 2019, which I call saving face. Mm -hmm. uh, after a disastrous 2018 season, we somehow... You know, flipped Rozier via sign and trade into Kemba Walker. We brought in Ennis Cantor and we re-signed Tice. Uh, we tried to run it back. And then this offseason, I call it saving face part two, where we drafted a few young guys with the picks that we had. Um, the one thing that I would say I didn't like that Danny did was the Desmond Bain trade. That's one of my, um, the guys that I like coming into the draft. Um, I definitely would have wanted to keep him. But we saved face and we got the Hayward TPE. And now here we are. Um, so I just think that the pressure is on Danny. Um, you know, we've had a fall from glory where we've had a stacked team. And now we're kind of back where it feels like we're back at square one. You know, Celtics fans are complaining as if we've had to tr trust the process as if we're like this Philly team that, you know, got Brett Brown fired and now, Brad Stevens is this Brett Brown who deserves to be on the hot seat because mm. we haven't been able to do anything mm. when in actuality we've been getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. So that's, you know, that's where our expectations lie versus the Philly whole trust process. But I think the pressure's on Danny to, to get this team um, back to where it should be. He has a traded player exception. Um, you've got Kemba Walker on a max deal, you've got to figure out a way to turn Kemba Walker into another player if Kemba Walker isn't part of the, uh, the plans going forward. At the end of the day, that's a max contract slot, and you've got to turn that money into something else, and you've got a $28.5 million TPE, and you've got Marcus Smart, and you've got all your future first-round picks, and you've got a Robert Williams, and you've got a Peyton Pritchard. The pressure's on Danny Ainge to make something happen. Mm. So there's one vote for one vote for Danny Ainge. One vote you don't want, but the pressure's on Danny Ainge, according to Trey.
you know, Trey, with, with that recap that you gave, it, I'm kind of playing it over in my head as you're talking about it. And all of the big moves that you had mentioned there were the right decision at the time. Bad things happened that were out of everyone's control. Whether Hayward got hurt, Kyrie didn't work out, um, you know, and the draft picks, like I, like I've said before, you know, it's law of averages. These picks don't all hit across the league. Look at any draft and look at how many rotation players come out of every draft. You're looking at what, maybe sometimes 10, 12 guys in the, in a draft. You have all of these picks put together. They got some rotation players out of them. They got some that they got nothing out of like that. I don't think Danny's necessarily drafted poorly. I think he's just had, he's had more picks. So you have a chance to see his failures and his successes more. So I think, uh, and I'm not an angel apologist at all. I think there's definitely been some, some mistakes along the way, um, but he's played with the cards that he's been dealt. And I think that he's made the, the right move, especially in the biggest situations most of the time. So I think that the pressure is on Brad Stevens when he first came here. And when he had his early success where he took a team that had no business getting into the playoffs and they got into the playoffs, um, you know, people around here, Celtics fans were calling him the basketball bill Belichick. Like, watch out. We got another great coach. Uh, We got a guy who's just going to carry this team for years because he took that team and he really, he truly elevated that team. But since he's had the pieces, He's looked like that type of guy who can get you from 25 win talent and get you 40 wins, but he'll take 50 win talent and get you 45. And it's, I don't know if it's necessarily his coaching style, whether he just doesn't fit with these guys or whether it's been some bad luck or what, but they've had some good teams and they've had times where you can look at the coaching where you can just see them not responding to him. I still go back to that Miami series last year when they get, we're just sleepwalking through some of those games Um, that's on the players. It's also on, on the coach as well too. Like if you have the respect for your coach that you, that you should have, like you're going to play hard for the guy and they don't always play hard for the guy. So we're starting to hear some fans say that they're not necessarily thrilled with Stevens anymore. Like they're not looking at him as that, um, you know, that Belichick of basketball, um, kind of guy he's he's a good coach we know that he's a good coach but i'm personally starting to have questions about whether or not it's a fit and when the rumors of him going to indiana came out last week i started to think like maybe that's best for everybody he can leave he can save face the celtics can start fresh with someone else maybe get someone in who's going to kick them in the ass because i think the team needs that um and uh it will be good to go from there so i think there's pressure on stevens I don't think he's going to get fired this year or next year. Like we're a couple of years away from that, but we've had expiring assets before we talked about these draft picks. Um, there's going to be a roster crunch. We saw it coming years down the, uh, down the road. Eventually they're going to turn into players. They're going to expire and you're going to have to do something with them. Now we're living that because those did expire. They didn't consolidate them and they turned them into you know, players who some of them didn't pan out the clock is ticking on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, not on their careers, but on their contracts. If they don't wing Jack shit in the next four years, those guys are going to walk and it's, we can't afford to lose two, three years 
under that and just say, have this like one last year where we're looking at like a Paul Pierce situation right before they got Garnett, when we thought Paul Pierce was going to be traded because they weren't winning anything with him. And we thought he was going to want out until they fixed the team. I'm worried about that four years down the road. If they, I don't, I don't know if I can put clock ticking in four years in the same, but we can see it, if you're, if you're burning two more years, I just think, I think that's way. And some people have said that I get it. Like, that's way, in my opinion, it's way too premature. Tatum hasn't even begun his extension. Jalen's in the first year, the first mm-hmm. half of the first year of his extension. And this is what they wanted. Jason Tatum was on the record saying, hey, he really wants to go to Phoenix. Partly because, you know, nice weather, he can get a nice little poolside crib. Uh-huh. But also because he felt the Celtics were too stacked. He wasn't going to be able to come in here and get his shit off and get his numbers off. He was going to go to a winning team in a winning situation, but the team was too stacked and he wasn't going to be able to sort of expand his basketball potential. And both of these players are in the situation that they want. It's very, very rare that you're a number three pick in the draft and you don't go through multiple losing seasons before you, before you finally achieve something, because usually and by 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 definition, you're drafted to a horrible team. Mm-hmm. So I I I agree. I, I get what you're saying. I just think it's way too early to even talk about Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum maybe wanting out because they've been struggling. You know, for the first time in their career, they've been losing more games than they've been winning, and they're one game under 500. Right. So I think we got to pump the brakes a little bit on that. Um, it's not a concern right now, but if we burn two more right. years, that's why I don't want something that talk. doesn't fit. Like I just can't, if I just can't even entertain it. Right. You, you can Brad's say that about half the league. You can say that right now about Milwaukee. You can, you, you can say that literally about any team. If you go on, if a team goes on a 10 game, a five game losing streak or has a one bad month, you could say the clock's ticking on their contracts. And that's really the main difference between the Stevens and a Belichick. It, well, there's many differences. There's a lot of, there's, I can think it's seven <laughs> and all that, <laughs> but, six. Tom's got but seven. not to mention the ones he had with the giants. Right. But in football, you can cut guys. It, it's a whole different dynamic. You don't, you don't, aside from the quarterback, you don't baby and, and hand and, and uh, handhold players through their careers. Like you do in basketball. And honestly, it's starting to get a little bit ridiculous with these NBA players, it like is. fucking like PJ Tucker. Demanding a trade, period. Demanding a trade to a winning situation. Like, like, let's, it's, it's just getting a little, I'm all for labor. I support player empowerment, but it's getting ridiculous to the point where even as fans, it's in our psyche that, oh no, Tatum's deals up in five years. We better start winning some games. Like, yeah, I think, it's, I it's, see, chill. see, I think you're, you're looking at it as being more reactionary for me. It's, it's not because I see kind of the same issues with Stevens over the last couple of years where the team's not. No, 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 I'm not talking about you know? Stevens. I'm just, uh, no, no. With, right. with Stevens, that's, I'm with you that's with why Stevens. there's pressure, on, pressure on him because if he turns out to be the wrong guy and he can't get them over the hump and they burn two more seasons, now that four and five years is a hell of a lot closer. So we're yeah. wasting years early on. Like, um, they I'm don't with need you. to win a championship next year uh, or this year or, or whatever. But if they are in the same spot that they're in now, two years from now, that becomes more of a problem that we can see. We're a lot closer to that finish line, just like we were with the draft picks. Like when we were talking in you know, 2015 about these draft picks expiring, we were like, oh, don't worry about that. They'll figure it out. They didn't figure it out. And now they're stuck with Grant Williams. They actually did figure out those draft picks. They got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. 
That's and, yes. and no one could have predicted what happened. What, what what would happen with Kyrie? I'm with you on Brad Stevens. Um, well, I'm not. I don't think this is more pressure on Brad Stevens because, as we all said, the the problem with the team is roster construction, or the main problem with the team is roster construction. I do think there's pressure. There's pressure on everybody, yeah. on all sides. But I think there's more pressure clearly on on Danny Ainge, um, in my opinion. And and you mentioned that you know all the all the deals that Trey or the timeline that Trey went over. You know, at the time, those were all the right decisions. But the most recent sort of thing that we're questioning is could we have gotten miles turner in a first round pick and doug mcdermott in exchange for gordon hayward versus the alternative that danny chose to take was to gamble on himself and acquire the traded player exception now at the time i thought part of it had to do with not strengthening indiana which was going to be a direct competitor in the east but then again with the with the emergence of Lamelo ball I know you hate to hear it, Mark, but Terry Rozier has been playing well. Um, and they added Gordon Hayward to that team. You know, they made Charlotte a better team. Charlotte has a better record than us right now. So I think there's a ton of pressure on Danny Ainge, not only because of the state of the team, because of the opportunities that we know on the record that he could have had this offseason. Now, there is this part of it that Gordon Hayward, of course, was a free agent and he would have had to, would have, had to have agreed to that. But it seemed like the dilly-dallying and the pussyfooting by Danny Ainge is what allowed Charlotte to come in at the last minute and say, you know what? Fuck it. Here's the max. Let's go. Whereas if Danny Ainge had just sort of put the ball on the deal a week before that, Charlotte wouldn't have even possibly entered the picture. I don't know if Dan, I don't know if uh, Gordon Hayward would have, you know, said, hold on, let me go talk to Charlotte real quick because none of us were really, none of us really seriously thought Charlotte had a chance. To sign I was really surprised when he went to Charlotte. We all thought it was going to be Boston or Indiana. Right. No, but he did have the money when free agency opened up. So, I mean, theoretically, they they could have known that they were going to be making that offer. Right, but even, even given the fact that they had that slot, none of us thought he was going to Charlotte. No. no. Uh, I mean, I did. I thought Atlanta was more of a possibility. I thought Atlanta was in play, too. I did, too. And, and think about it. What if he did go to Atlanta? Yeah, instead of what? Probably instead of Bogdanovich? Instead of Bogdanovich and Gallinari? Yeah, or instead that, of Gallinari. That might have been, I don't know. That might have been... been, been um, Pretty pretty good for them, but but he might have found himself in that same situation he was in here, where there's a lot of there's a lot of decent players. Like we talked about it in our season preview, like we thought a problem with the Hawks might have been too many cooks in the kitchen, and it kind of was. I think at that point they they may have definitely entertained like a DeAndre Hunter or a Cam Reddish trade, or maybe even John Collins at that point. But but either way, Gordon Hayward would have been a good player for that team. But it might have been Boston light a little bit, where you know there was so many mouths to feed. But but even though Danny gets the Danny has the pressure because of roster construction, let's not let Brad off the hook there either. Because I'm certain that Brad Stevens is in that draft war room and he's in the, you know, I think Brad Stevens is heavily involved in personnel decisions. I'm not saying he gets the final call, but I don't think there's a move that Danny Ainge is gonna make that he's not gonna run by Brad Stevens first. Yeah, he's so, partly responsible for it. Yeah. So Brad Stevens has some, has some culpability there when it comes to the roster construction. Um, but, but I know the fans, they're, they're all in the hot seat with the fans for the yeah. first time in their careers. Um, and, and I've been on the record early this season as saying, Hey, I think Brad Stevens is a great coach. I think he could have any team in the league right now at 500, any team hovering around 500 right now. I just question if, he's his voice or he if he's the right guy to take Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to the next level all of these guys who have eventually gotten to the next level and won championships 
had to go through a coach or two, whether Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, you know, when he had Doug Collins, um, well, save for Tim Duncan, because he had pop the whole time. But all these other guys. Tim Paul Duncan's Pierce, just different, man. <laughs> that yeah, guy was different. Paul Pierce. Um, um, yeah, the John Carroll. LeBron, <laughs> LeBron, you know, Steph Curry and them, you know, they had yeah. to go for Mark Jackson and Steve Kerr. Um, every team has gone through this where they needed to make a coaching change to sort of just whatever it was. To, to, to get that team to the next level. And I think the Celtics are getting to that point. And, and Gary Washburn, Washburn was on Felger and Mass today, who I rarely ever want to name on this podcast, but he was on Felger and Mass. And the one thing that stood out to me is that he felt Mass actually asked a great question. How would you characterize the relationship between Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Brad Stevens? And Washburn paused to be very, very careful with his words. Mm. But eventually he said, respectful. It's a respectful relationship. I'm not saying that they're entirely close, but they're all professionals. They respect each other. They're not blaming Brad for the issues. They know that they need some help on the roster. But he stopped short of saying, like, Brad's the guy. Yeah, and I'm starting to get the feeling that Brad might be the guy before the guy. And when you, when you said, and I didn't hear the Washburn interview, but um, it sounds like an interesting comment where you paused and said, respectful. I think of that just saying like, Oh, how is, how is this situation? How is it? And you just go, "Eh, it's fine. Like, it's fine. It's nothing more is kind of what I'm getting from that. And uh, you know, it's, it's the Boston Celtics. Fine's not good enough. Um, okay isn't good enough the eastern conference finals aren't good enough they've won one championship in 30 years and this is supposed to be the gold standard of the nba so mm-hmm. like it's got to be better and th- i think you're right there's pressure on both guys i i kind of see it more on the coach though yeah and i go back to you know tatum was on the knuckleheads podcast um no he was on he was on um jj reddick's podcast the old man in the three and they were talking about brad and what do you think he's like you know brad's cool we like brad like you know, but when he was talking about pop, I just got a different sense of when he talked about pop, you know, playing under pop for Team USA and playing under Coach K at Duke. There was a little bit of there was just a different field mm-hmm. than to when he was talking about Coach Stevens. Like, you know, Coach is cool, but pop's great, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think that's something to watch out for, particularly when Stevens just turned down the the, the Indiana job. Maybe Adams, you know, years long hot take that he's going to end up at Duke. Maybe that's realer than ever now with sort of Duke struggle and Coach K, you know, getting older, et cetera, et cetera. But, but that even points back to, to Danny Ainge that there's some pressure on him to make Brad Stevens happy, to make Wick Grossbeck happy, to make Jalen, T- Jason tatum and Jalen brown happy because all those bums that we're talking about at the end of our roster were hand-picked by danny inch despite other alternatives mm-hmm. right so he made this bed up and down I mean, now he can't you know he can't control gordon hayward wanting to walk and kyrie irving wanting to walk and al horford wanting to walk and things like that um i don't even know if even you mark would rather have terry rosier right now than kemba walker i think i might but, Whoa! So that's like but, all right, that's a. That's I got to put an asterisk and a disclaimer on that. Like Terry Rozier is a career forty percent shooter. He's shooting forty seven percent this year. Like 
I'm not sure this isn't a fluke. Like, but the fact that one. you didn't even like the fact I'm afra- that you I'm afraid of Kemba's it? knee. I'm afraid of Kemba's yeah. knee. And like Rosier can give you something like it's conceivable that by the end of this contract, like that Kemba is is just a DNP like every yeah. night because he just can't go. Um, hopefully it's not the case, and hopefully I'm overthinking it and uh, and a little more nervous than I should be. But like I'm worried about that knee. I still don't like Rosier though. <laughs> it won somebody a stake. I don't know who. Um, that defects that the uh, defection of Terry because I had Terry Rosier coming back to the Celtics at like my top spot. I'm like, I thought he was definitely coming back. Uh, I didn't I, see. This. I think I put him on a different shitty team for him to com- compile <laughs> stats because he's that type of guy. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't see. I didn't see Terry Rosier. Um, I think I said like Orlando or New Orleans because I was like, well, those teams suck, and Rosier wants the ball, so send him there. I should have picked the other shitty team. I might have got a stake. One oh. last thing just to add to the Danny Ainge mm-hmm. pressure being on him. You know, a lot of people have talked about him not making a trade since 2015. I just went through a whole timeline of reasons why he hasn't made a trade since 2015. At the deadline, you mean, right? At, yes, at the trade deadline. Yep. Um, and it's because we haven't had a need to. Um, we've, we've had free agency and draft. Um having a stacked roster to this point. And now we've had a fall from grace. So it's now it's that trades are needed again. So I feel as though this deadline is actually different than, you know, since 2015. Hmm. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, it, it is. Cause now we're a game below 500 at the deadline. Um, and Right now they're in one of the play-in spots, and if yeah. things go wrong over the next couple of weeks, they could be out of the play-in. I don't expect that to because they should be better than the teams that they would have to fall behind, but like, it's something that is conceivable. I don't know. I think the only the, – it just seems like the only realistic way out of this is to – you got to line those books up. You got to line those books up for when Kemba, you get out of Kemba's deal – that whoever the premier free agent is, you can sell them on Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Celtics, and go get Carl Anthony Towns or whoever it may be. That's the that's the guy in that class. That seems like the only way to really. I mean, we're we're not we're we're in a different kind of purgatory. We're in like a we're not in hell. Like we're not well, purgatory. Hell is in purgatory, but we're like in a we're just stuck. We're stuck at. Eastern Conference Finals ceiling right now. We're the 2002 Boston Celtics with Pierce and Antoine. It's fool's gold. Like they weren't contenders the uh, at that time. In hindsight, we knew they weren't going to win a damn thing. And when these teams were in the Eastern Conference Finals, I'm, how many times? Did years, those, how many times did those Celtics go to the East? Was it just one? once. Other just ones? once. They lost in the second yeah. round to the Nets in the, um, so, the year after. So wait. Yeah. So it was shorter. I get your point, um, but it's it's the same idea. Where like they weren't good enough to win a championship, and this team that lost to Cleveland in uh, in seven or the team last year, they weren't good enough to win a championship either. Yeah, yeah, they I, were close. I, they were closer than the O two team, I guess, but they still weren't good enough to win. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be, it's gonna be tough because you know you 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 have to you have to increase the value of those other guys if you, if you think you're gonna be able to make a trade, and you got one crack at the traded player exception. And if you fuck that up, you really have you have to hope for internal development. Um, and 
in COVID times when you're not practicing and you don't have the red claws and all these things, it just makes it even more difficult. Um, so well, I don't know, you know, we'll, we'll have an answer to some of these questions in the next couple of days or so, maybe even by the time you hear this podcast. Um, but on a lighter note, maybe, because I don't know if people will be cheering or booing by the end of the first half, but fans are coming back to the garden. The governor moved us into phase one of step four. I don't even know how all this shit works, but 12% capacity, I believe, at arenas. So it's 2015 all over again. Yeah, well, it's. <laughs> ah, I think we were still selling out. Oh, we weren't selling out. Uh, we sat wherever we wanted when we went to those games. And you know it because you came over to the seats that I had special access to. More on that. Often. Yeah, I was, I was <laughs> chanting draft picks. I'll never forget, Adam, Adam, you had my favorite moment of maybe of that season. It was back in the days when the Celtics had two Marcus Thorntons and uh, the one who actually played in the NBA uh, hits a three. And uh, as soon as it goes in, you just go like, oh, get traded. (laughs) We had we had two what? Two Marcus Thorntons. Oh, did we have two Marcus Thorntons? The, they had the NBA one, and then they drafted a dude, Marcus Thornton, who never played in the league. He played in well, the league. That Marcus didn't, that Marcus Thornton got us Isaiah Thomas. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, well, yeah. well he, he contributed. I'm not sure how much of a factor he was. Speaking of which, whatever happened to that? Who's that other guy that we that we drafted that got sent to, like, Europe? We supposed to stash him in Europe for a year. No one ever saw him again. Ante Zizic, he was in the Kyrie. No, he, he was a dude with dreads. That was Marcus Thornton. That was Marcus Thornton. Okay. Damn. <laughs> Man, talk about getting stashed away in Europe. Yeah, I, think I, I think he played in Australia. They sent them to Australia. Yeah, Australia sounds right. I've seen him in the TBT tournament recently. Me too. He nice. A TBT tournament. But uh, so you guys excited to uh, go back in the garden? You nervous? Um, and is it is this a good thing for the team? Because fans aren't happy right now. Um. I don't know what the reception is going to be. I think everyone's going to be happy just to be back. I mean, maybe that'll bring some reality back into it. Like, Hey, it's just basketball. You know, we haven't been able to do this for a long time. I know the team's struggling, but it's nice to just be able to go back into an arena and watch a game or, or the Celtics going to, or the fans going to bring all that baggage with them and all that pressure and all that, that tension into them, into the garden with them. I don't know what you guys expect to see at the garden. When, the, when things do open back up. All the games were sold out. Only yeah, I mean, 12%, but they were sold out. <laughs> yeah. I, I think a I Fenway agree, sellout. I think I agree with you early on. It's going to be, you know, people just enthusiastic to be back. But as far as the mood of the crowd, I think that's going to depend on, you know, the, the 2,000 people that got tickets to that game. If we're going to get a bunch of, like, families coming for that, you know, it might be a little pleasant. You might not hear a lot of booze. But if you get, a, like, you know, a Friday night crowd that gets 2,000 tickets up in there, you know, we're down 20 at halftime. You know, they may see fans, see players might hear it a little bit. So you said early on they'll be enthusiastic. Do you mean like early on, meaning like the first quarter of yeah. the first game, or early yeah. on, meaning like we'll give them a few games? How, how first TV time time I mean, yeah, they've had about 43 games already. So it's, yeah, it's, I think that enthusiasm will only last the, the first time game. out. If, if we're down, <laughs> if we're down 10 the first time out, it's, well, well, it's, the Brad, it's Brad, over. So we might not call a timeout to the second quarter. Yeah, that's true. 
Mm. Well, Section 5 will be in the house on Patriots Day in Boston. No marathon this year on Patriots Day. Uh, but should have the Red Sox. Um, yeah, should. Um, maybe they don't have to play at 11 o'clock because there's no marathon. Right. But um, versus the Chicago Bulls. Yep. Um, Laurie Markinen rumored to be on the trade block. We didn't even talk about Sabonis and Brogdon, um, Kyle Lowry. Lonzo. Um, you know, Lonzo, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of teams on you know, a lot of players on the block. Um, you got the playing playing game this year. So more teams feel like they have a shot to recoup some of that playoff money. I think um, that they lost last year. Um, so we'll see how it shakes out between the buyers and sellers. Um, but all these leaks happen for a reason. It's somebody's agenda that's getting put out there um, for leverage. Right? right. Almost like, almost like what our fantasy basketball, negotiations just a lot of posturing and a lot of leverage um so i'm fully expecting to hear that aaron gordon was traded to denver for like paul Millsap, jamichael green bowl bowl and two future first round picks yeah so the the rumor deal is they offered bowl bowl will barton in a first they should orlando should do that I think I think I, I like Bull Bull though. I like Bull Bull. So I I think I'm in Orlando's position. I would do that. Yeah. If I Gordon think I, wants out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think may, maybe it comes down to are there protections and what these contracts look like? You know, how much do you believe in Bull Bull? Um, I don't know. Does RJ Hampton have more value than those guys that we named for the Celtics? Maybe because he hasn't really stepped on the floor. He still he still has that value. But um yeah, a lot, lots of lots of names flying around. It seems like a lock that uh, Aaron Gordon will be moved. Um, it's just a matter of where, as well as Victor Oladipo. Um, and Danny Ainge will be in the mix of all this as usual. We'll see if it's going to be more like 2015 or is it going to be more like the past five years uh, since the IT trade. The curse of IT. It's like the curse of the man Bino. He said it. Traded IT, and our luck hasn't been that great since. Um, well, our luck wasn't that great before him either. You know, two of our stars died. So, <laughs> yeah. Tried to. End, I tried to end this part on like a positive note. And you the positive to... note of the curse. <laughs> well, I mean, I was kind of joking. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't need to get into Reggie Lewis and Len Bias, but mm-hmm. um. Yeah. Um, anyone got anything else? Any predictions? You want to end this with predictions? Um, not so much a prediction, but I'm hoping that there's something that Danny can do to kind of recoup picks from other teams. Um, he has all of his future first round picks. I think, you know, easily this year's first round pick is on the table. Um, then when you start thinking about any type of future blockbuster deals that you're going to need, you're going to need um you know, a 2022, 2024, 2026 first round pick with pick swaps in between. So that does not allow you to trade um, consecutive background uh, back-to-back picks. Mm -hmm. So you might want to somehow, you know, use part of the TPE to take on a deal. I'm just going to throw a name out there, Eric Bledsoe. Let's say the Pelicans in an effort to keep Lonzo Ball and give him all the money they can. They're looking to move Eric Bledsoe. 
would you take on Eric Bledsoe for a first round pick and then flip Eric Bledsoe to the Orlando Magic with that first round pick for Evan Fournier? With Evan Fournier essentially going to, you know, New Orleans or something like that. Uh, could you send Daniel Tice to the Denver Nuggets for a first round pick? Are there ways that you can recoup an asset to help you facilitate a deal? I think that's that's not a prediction, but that's what I think Danny should be looking to do. Yeah, I think I think it, it may be tough because the cap, the teams with cap space generally are in more position to like absorb those contracts. And even if we could, I don't know this there's issues with like hard caps and stuff, right? And then um is is Wick Grossbeck gonna wanna pay? more money or more into the luxury tax. Like it's a thought, it's an idea, but I'm wondering if the Celtics are in that position right now, given their, their cap situation. Um, but, but if Danny gets creative, he can make it happen because that's what he's going to have to do. Start. He's going to have to start reacquiring assets as much as we hate that word. That's what he that's has a to word do. that I use to aggravate Celtics fans. That's really all it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my it, God. The assets like, it is a trigger. It is a trigger. Round, uh, round two pick 28 is not a fucking asset. <laughs> button. I mean, uh, that's what got Milwaukee drew holiday. Uh, yeah. And it's what got the Celtics Ben Pepper. Like, um, it, so. But prediction prediction. Uh, I think they do nothing at the trade deadline again. Uh, I think we <laughs> add John Collins and uh, Harrison Barnes to the team of players that Danny almost traded for. And uh, I think, you know, it's part of that's like a joke slash spite, but I think there might be a better deal to be had in the, uh, in the off season. Um, and uh, I don't think they're going anywhere this year. Um, this team feels like they're destined for the playing game. Uh, and I hope that they're not, but, they need to kick in the ass and maybe that's the way that they get it is by getting knocked out a little earlier. Um, yeah, that's, that's it. Like I, I, I don't think they're that good. I've been, I said that in the preseason, I've said it in our last couple of pods and uh, they're kind of stuck for this year. It's a, it's a bridge year for, hmm. you know, to, to coin a Red Sox term. And uh, you know, I'm still hopeful because you all know that I'm a John Collins fanboy. I'm hopeful that I hear that name called and he, you know, comes on to the Celtics and they keep him for, you know, the next you know four or five years or whatever they sign him to an extension, but I don't see it happening. So I think they stand pat and uh, go into the off season. So, uh, so if I was a betting man, I would say we don't do anything, but since this is predictions, I'm going to say that Danny goes back to what he did in, I think 2012 or something. And, 2011 and he, he trades the heart and soul of the defense for an offensive player and I think we're going to trade Marcus Smart and we're going to get someone like Harrison Barnes back um, mm. you think Danny makes the same mistake twice I um, mean when if we look back at the Perkins trade we could all agree that Jeff Green was the best player of that day they got the better value back and I think it's going to be the same thing where we're going to look at okay we're getting the better Basketball I would have you 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 if you could go back you would still do that deal, no because yeah. it it fucked up the chemistry oh. of the team. If I but, didn't know better, yeah, I would. I, I, if I didn't know better, yes, I would have did that deal. Yeah, but, but if I knew what would have happened after I did that deal, then no, of course not. They didn't take into account that Rondo was a crybaby and it was going to throw him off the rails for the rest of the season. As it, I did. think they did. They knew what they had in Rondo. 
a glare. They didn't think it was going to do that because they thought that move was going to give them a push, and uh, it put Rondo yeah, into Danny, the absolute dumper. Danny, Danny was Danny was too consumed by the trade too early before it's too late and really fucked up that situation. But uh, my prediction is uh, I'm going to stick to my epiphany that I had, and I think the Celtics sort of straddle this path for a few more, you know, for one more half of a season and they get Victor Oladipo on the super cheap as a rental. Um, and now I don't, they, they, they can maintain the TPE if they send salary back. Right. Yeah. Otherwise they'd have to put him into the TPE. Um, yeah, I don't know how it's going to work because I don't think they're going to blow the TPE on, on Oladipo, but I do believe that the Celtics end up acquiring Victor Oladipo somehow. And I do think the Celtics will ultimately finish with the fourth seed in the East. Um, as terrible as they've been, they're game out of fourth. And I just any any marginal improvement, whether it's internal, external chemistry addition, should allow the Celtics to move to the fourth seed. Charlotte just lost LaMelo Ball. Indiana may be looking to move some pieces. Um, Atlanta's for real. I, I think they're for real, but I think the Celtics can still sort of quote, you know, hang with Atlanta and Atlanta gets the tiebreaker, but I think the Celtics finished with the fourth seed and they acquired Victor Oladipo. That's, that's my prediction. Um, and we'll, we'll see where it goes. So that does it for us. Back in the Section 5 podcast. Thanks for listening. Hopefully the Celtics four core, uh, core four can, can reunite as well and get them some wins. We need Kemba Walker back. I don't want to see Marcus Smart get traded. I think, you know, him along with everyone else is just having a tough go right now. Um, and Danny Ainge has some tough decisions to make. I would not want to be in his shoes right now. Um, Trader Danny. Trader Danny. Let's see what he does. Let's go, C's. Let's go.